Welcome to Build the Invisible, a podcast hosted by me, Daniel G, where we explore career journeys of today's most successful professionals. Each week, we sit down with guests to discuss the challenges they faced and the lessons that they've learned along the way, from dealing with failure to the importance of being patient and listening to others. We uncover the strategies and mindset that have helped our guests build successful careers. Join us as we delve into the stories of those who have persevered and achieved greatness in their fields. I spoke with former Olympian, Abdul Buhari, about the importance of reinvention, resilience and relationships in his journey from elite athletics into industry. Abdul is a relationship manager at Credit Suisse Private Bank. He has represented Great Britain at the Olympics, World Championships and European Championships and has served as a board member on the British Athletics Commission and the UK Athletes Commission. Abdul also co-founded the Athletes Alumni, a collaboration between UK Athletics, the Home Country Athletics Federations and the UK Athletics Commission. Athletes Alumni is a network by athletes for athletes that provides a space for Olympians and Paralympians from 2008 onwards to network with past and present sports people in athletics whilst navigating the challenging transition to a life after elite sports. I really hope you enjoy our chat. Abdul, thanks so much for, for chatting. We've, we've chatted a few times and apologies if I keep on getting you on only because um, I love talking about all the stuff that you um, uh, that we've we've talked about privately, that we've talked about on podcasts and stuff we've done before. And when I was thinking about um, people to chat to about my book idea about the, the book's called Build the Invisible, which is sort of the investment that people make in themselves, either from a knowledge perspective, a networking perspective, habits that they form, um, getting better at dealing with when things are don't go to plan and aren't perfect, um, to enable you to be able to then people to come out the other side and be like, these are all the things that people didn't see that I was constantly doing, which have helped me in my career and the type of things that I've, I've necessarily done. So what, what would be really handy as a starting point, because I'm not actually speaking to too many elite athletes is the truth. And that's why I think your insights would be fascinating, which is, you know, in a way, what elite athletes are doing at, and had done every day was building that invisible, building those routines and the practice, the stuff that nobody else sees apart from the outcome, which is getting to Olympic Games, winning titles, um, you know, excelling at, at the world stage. Um, has that stuff been quite natural for you to transition into the work environment, bearing in mind all of the years of doing the stuff that really no one sees and that you have to motivate yourself to do? Um, really, really good question, Dan. Um, some of it has and some of it hasn't. So I'll give you kind of the one that has and hasn't as tangible examples. So as an athlete, you have complete autonomy about what you do, how you train, how hard you apply yourself. And hopefully, particularly in athletics, you get to the summer months and the, your hard work, you, you see the rewards of it. And, and, if you, and if things don't go as a plan, you can learn and develop. In industry, what tends to happen is you don't have as much control as you'd like. So you do have control in terms of your career progression, but particularly in my industry, it's, it's certainly subjective, i.e. you've got to be seen and you've always got to shout about how good you are. In sport, 
you don't need to shout about how good you are because you just perform and everybody sees it, right? And then you get rewarded. So certainly that's one thing I, I definitely struggled with massively in industry because whilst I was good at my job or, or one of the best at it or I, I, I reached my target, I didn't, uh, um, because we, I work in, a, in an organization and certainly an industry that's huge, rewarding those individuals is a lot more subjective Whereas in sport, it's a lot more objective. And that's the biggest take I think I have found since transitioning in, back into industry. Um, so, for example, if I, if I hit all my targets at the end of the year in industry, there's no guarantees that I'll be rewarded because it's subjective. And if I am, it's also done to, um, on a limit because of the environment you're in. In, in sport... If I work really hard and I do what I'm meant to do and I win and I and I win, I win because I win. It's not a case of um I've got to look at what my other competitors did and compare it. No, it's just that it's a lot more black and white. Um and coming from that environment where everything is, is very clear and then going to an environment where it's a little bit more opaque, that was really tough. Really, really tough. You end up having conversations that aren't necessarily comfortable, but then you ask, why is this complicated? I did what you want me to do. I accomplished the target. You need to reward me as per conversation, etc. cetera. Um, but that said, you then start to realize um, the wider um, environment. So you take into consideration, obviously you work for a large organization, you take into consideration um, the overall company as a whole, where they are. Um, and then you start to realize that, okay, even though you may not be necessarily happy with the reward, sometimes given that situation, it's the best that you could receive. Um, and I think the, the, the only trans, the kind of relationship I could draw in sport is if, for example, I worked really hard and I then went out in my first competition and I threw a massive PB but then got injured, that doesn't mean um, the world work I did in the winter doesn't count. It just shows that I still have the inherent things I needed to work on or fix. Um, the one thing I would say about industry, though, that is different to sport is the relationships you build in industry, um, particularly the good ones, will go on for a very long time. And some of those individuals, not just clients or in the media, will become really good friends. In sport, Sometimes the people you compete against, although you're friends with them, um, if they've constantly beaten you all year round for the most of your for most of your life, whilst you were friends, you will always be there. Will always be deep down inside that little bit of, yeah, it's not it's not somebody I want to be with. Equally, it might be it might be a situation where, for example, somebody who you've been close with in sport has taken drugs, performing enhancing drugs in sport. And as a consequence, has meddled, and then we then later find that that medal was then passed on. Now, in the industry, you never get stuff like that. So there are some small synergies, but there's some direct um, correlations where I think that there there could be elements where you could have improvements. Um, and I think from an industry perspective when you're transitioning, particularly for sportsmen and women, when you're transitioning back into industry, what I would say is don't be alarmed if 
you go into industry and you fulfill your objective and don't get rewarded the way you'd expect to get rewarded in sport. Um, it took me a while to kind of adjust to that level of thinking. Um, but what I would say is if you're in there for the long game, your time will come. And I think if you and if you think about sport being a long game in respect of what sport you do, um, your time will come in industry where you will get the accolades you deserve, the, the rewards you deserve. But sometimes you just be, need to be patient. And the other thing is when, you, when you're in industry, particularly when you're transitioning, what you find is you're working your way back up again. Whereas you come from a sport where you're already at the top. And in industry, you're not going in at the top because you just don't know enough. You haven't had the experience. You haven't had to deal with the pitfalls, the disappointments. So you've got to go, go through, not necessarily earn your stripes, but just pick up those experiences you learn from. Um, uh, and again, I pick up from sport. You picked up an injury, you learn, you fix it. You competed in rain, you learn, you deal with it. You competed in really windy, you learn, you apply yourself. All those little things, interventions, you, you apply it because you've learned from it. You don't learn that in industry. Um, and because you don't learn that in industry, you've got to go away and actually get your hands dirty get to the roots of stuff and then you start you will start getting the accolades you want so just on that last point which i think is quite an interesting one to consider is yeah you go from being an elite athlete with a very very high level of skill to then that being part of your identity of yourself, of the thing that you've probably worked more than anything else in your life to achieve, and then you get to those achievements, whatever they may be, and then you transition with, with possibly some very good life skills and very good yeah. character traits of whatever they may yeah. be, we'll talk about that in a bit, but effectively you're going then into a new industry where you might not be learning from scratch, but you're learning a, almost a completely new set of skills to enable you to, yep. to, to, to move on to the next phase of your life. How did you deal with, or, and how did you, based on your experience, do athletes deal with being one of the best at something to then not being, and that mindset of like, okay, I, I've got to learn a new thing and I'm going to embrace the learning rather than almost, I guess what, just in terms of my thinking would be a bit like do do i want to have to reinvent myself as something different yeah. where i've spent all of this time not wasted time but wasted time because it's not now what i'm gonna do as a result yeah i mean you've hit you hit the nail on the head of the question it's actually a very scary um place to be very it's quite daunting um i've known athletes to have anxiety um, I've known athletes to just be afraid of actually taking that next jump of transitioning because as you rightly pointed out, you've gone from being elite, being the best, being well-known, you have established a, a, a very clear identity. Everybody knows you as X, the athlete who has accomplished X, Y, Z. You then go into Bill's, I don't know, company. And if you're in a company that doesn't, doesn't really care about sport, you're just another guy who's just come in. Um, and um, it's actually it's actually the most vulnerable you find athletes are because and that's why you 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 read about athletes just mentally going into either depression or or going to going into either drugs or alcohol because they struggle to make that change 
Um, and I think with sport, it's not just your identity, it's also your way of life that you've been living for X amount of years, right? And then it's almost like you close the door on it, you open a brand new door, and you've got to do a brand new way of life. Now, how do you do that at the age of like 35, 40, or however long you've been doing sport? It's, it's really, really difficult. Um, how, how did I personally find it? Um, I find it hard. I'll be honest with you. I find it, I find, I mean, and the thing is, when I tell people this, they, they're surprised because I was already working in banking. So why should it be a surprise, right? But you got to understand, I've just literally competed in the biggest sporting event, one of the biggest sporting events in the world in, in, at home. Um, and then, uh, and that summer, and then I'm back to work in September, like nothing's even happened. Um, and then I get some colleagues will ask me, oh, how was the games? Other colleagues will say, where have you been? I haven't seen you. Um, <laughs> so you get, you, and you're constantly, just constantly just trying to manage your own anxieties, answer questions honestly and openly. And also to some, to some, to some degree, if I'm honest, also frustrated. The others don't know where you've been and how much, how much work you've done. Because not, not in the arrogant way, but just like in the sense that where have you been hiding? Like, have you been under a rock? Um, however, what I would say is um, what I found was just taking it day by day. Um, that you're going to have good days like any days in sport. You're going to have bad days like any, any days in sport. And you just, you just tackle each day as it comes. Um, I did feel vulnerable because you've got colleagues who, who have obviously done well during that period or, or I've learned new skills or got quali professional qualifications. So I felt a bit behind. Um, now, if you're an athlete who has, who was in my position, for example, and just done only sport until the age of say 30, 31, and just had that on his even and gone into industry, I can't begin to imagine how scary that must be because now you're in an environment with individuals, some, some, some of which may be 10, 10 years younger than you, doing the same job as you or even a little bit more senior than you and you're trying to kind of find your feet and learn brand new skills, build brand new relationships uh, and, and try and develop further. But as I say, making, making that change, you, it, feel, it will feel like you're losing a part of yourself and then, and then going into something and trying to do something completely different, which isn't yourself. Um, and I think that one of the other hardest thing is not being able to talk about it. And I think athletes, particularly when they transition, they feel as though they can't talk about their sport because they, they're trying to do something different. And what I found helped for me was just being honest and open about the fact that, okay, I did sport. Um, however, I'm trying to do this, but it's because of sport that I am who I am today. And I'm going to use that to help me get to where I'd like to get to. Um, I think that that approach certainly helped me go from, if you like, from investment banking to private banking, uh, which lends a lot more to my strengths, which is just, if I'm honest, just talking to people and building relationships and helping them make better decisions. Um, and that's probably, that's probably why I set up the alumni, which is to just help, help athletes ex do exactly that, which is transition out of sport into industry, but path, create them a path or pathway that allows them to do it while they're still in sport, and then they can do it. They can also do it once they're outside of sport. the The scariest thing I think about transition is not transitioning. Um, 
just having that limbo, not knowing what to do completely is, is worse than knowing where to go, but just not knowing how to, how to, how to go about doing things. Um, and I think if you have that vacuum, it's actually a lot more scary than being in a place where you know you want to get to, but you're just scared about making the steps or don't know how to make the steps. Um, and I think that's where a lot of athletes or sportsmen and women fall foul. It's not that they don't necessarily just don't prepare. It's just that when they finish, they don't know, they just sit there in that space thinking opportunities will come to them. And sadly it just doesn't. Um, but the ones that will struggle initially and then will make it eventually are the ones that commit and say, okay, I'm going to go into transition. I'm going to attempt to become an accountant, a solicitor, a teacher. Um, even though they know for the first X amount of period, it's going to be tough to persevere and push through it. Um, but you've got to keep talking to people and whether it be a significant other, a friend, a mentor, I think I found talking and just being open uh, about my frustrations or my concerns or my uh, stuff I was anxious about definitely helped. I'm going to talk about then that actually the, one of the last things you just said in that particular section, which I, which I really found interesting, which is how you go about building relationships i know it's like quite an open-ended question but obviously is mm -hmm. um, in in the book that i'm trying to write at the moment forms quite an important yeah. part which is you know a lot of people say you're only as valuable as your network um and i mean that yeah. in, a, in a positive way like whenever we've talked face to face unfortunately we haven't managed to see each other as uh, recent, uh, regularly <laughs> recently but You've got an incredible way of being able to be very open, um, very people to be very comfortable in your um, in your presence, a, a very good ability to be able to listen quite intently, um, and a very good way following on to be able to ask particular questions because obviously you've given thought to um, the individual um, and almost sort of marked it down subconsciously, purposely, however you want to call it, so that the other person feels like not only they've been listened to, but you've really taken an interest in them. Now, I hope you haven't given away the answer too much, but I'd be fascinated into your mindset as how you consciously, subconsciously, by way of practice or otherwise, have built that ability to be able to you know, connect more than just superficially. Yeah, I mean, I've got a real, really good example of that, actually. But, I mean, to answer your question in the first instance, um, building relationships, for me, is just about being honest, sincere, genuine, um, listening intently. And what I mean by that is, don't just listen for the sake of listening, listen and actually pay attention. So, for example, if you said, oh, it was, if we had spoken, say, two weeks ago, and you said it was my daughter's birthday or my wife's birthday, when we go on a call, the first thing I should be thinking about is, oh, how was the birthday? Do you, how did it go down? What did it get, do you know what I mean? So paying attention to those specific details demonstrates that you want to have a relationship with that individual. Um, but more specifically, I think building relationships, it, it's, it's, it's not actually as hard as people think it is. I think it's people do it automatically, but just don't actually um, maintain it as well as they could. And what I mean by that is, um, so the tangible example I'd give you is, 
Robert Hartin. Um, uh, you may not know who he is. So he's the, he was the Olympic champion in my event, the discus at the London 2012 Games. He was also champion in 2008 Beijing. Uh, he's the guy that ripped up his um, top and ran over the hurdles. Um, every in sport, most people in athletics know that I'm big on transition. Um, I'm big on just further education and developing yourself beyond athletics. After the Olympics, um, and I'd retired, he dropped me a note saying, look, I heard you broke your foot. Sorry to hear that. Uh, I was hoping to see you back in the season, but let's keep in touch. And Rob and I had, had exchanged dialogue um, a few times uh, about the fact that I worked in banking. So we kept in touch um, via social media. And then I think about six months before he was going to retire, he dropped me a note saying, look, I'm thinking of retiring and I need your advice and help. And I thought, well, oh, this is weird. What could I possibly offer one of the best guys in history of all time in my discus event? Because there's no way I could teach him how to throw a discus further. Um, and he quizzed me about transition, oddly enough. He quizzed me about his anxiety because he just recently got married and he, um, he's expecting twins. Um, and he was worried about life after sports. Um, and simple things like being able to afford to live, um, being able to have sustainable income or just any income beyond sport. And he was thinking about pursuing a career in business and in banking. And uh, I'll be honest, this is something that him and I have never, ever discussed in the whole I don't know, eight, nine years of competing against each other. But he knew my background. I knew, I knew nothing about his background outside of sport. But we developed a relationship I like to think that such that he felt he could still reach out irrespective of the fact that he'd beaten me every single time. And we can have an open and honest conversation about how he can go on to develop further beyond sport. We still keep in touch to this day, uh, um, which is very odd because I imagine he probably doesn't talk to many athletes. Um, certainly not an open be open about how vulnerable he felt about the fact that he was thinking about transition quite later on in his career as opposed to a little bit early on. So for me, that demonstrates how important it is to just be, just be honest and be yourself in, in relationships. But all realize that people will take an interest in your passion people will automatically be drawn to you because you that you love something. So genuine genuine relationships are driven by just general care for that specific individual, uh, wanting the best for that specific individual, and that person demonstrating a passion that both parties are are have seen. Um, Generally, I think relationships is probably easier to make and harder to maintain. And what I mean by that is, particularly in lockdown, we haven't got the chance to see people face-to-face -face as much as we'd like, uh, or the opportunity would have granted. So, so having phone calls, regular phone calls and emails, it's been, it's been a little bit more... I think I may have lost you. I've Probably got you. I can't. My internet again. Abdul. Can you, um, 
saying um, making relationship is probably easier than maintaining it uh, um, because sometimes I think when in order to maintain it, people think ah, what what I and uh, advice just a, even a genuine checking call just checking to see you're okay um, seeing how the family is that demonstrates building a relationship or maintaining a relationship that demonstrates you care um, remembering the small details again demonstrating that you you want to maintain that relation all these little things that i think athletes already do or people just do automatically by continuing doing those good habits you'll be able to maintain those relationships hello and welcome back to build the invisible with me daniel g in addition to sharing insights and lessons on career success i'm also the founder of a charity fashion brand called 13. at 13shop.co.uk you can order hoodies t-shirts and socks with all proceeds going towards cancer research. So not only can you evaluate your personal and professional development with the insights shared on this podcast, but you can also support a great cause with your purchase from 13. Visit 13shop.co.uk today to browse our collection and make a difference. Thank you for supporting Build Invisible and the mission of 13. Agreed. I've got you. I've got you back, but I can yeah, I can see you now. But I could I could hear you throughout. And um, I think it was really fascinating. One of the things that they brought up then, maybe with uh, with another idea in mind, was the um, thinking about the other, which I think is a really important thing. Which is, I think, a lot of the time, it's not that people do it intentionally or otherwise. Is that people reach out to people at the time where they need something from that person. Um, and I think that can sometimes be a bit tricky is the truth, not tricky in the sense that um, yeah. uh, that people won't help for the sake of helping. But usually a relationship has to be a two way process. Um, and more importantly than that, I think is really important is that when when you reach out to somebody not looking for something in return, that immediately, I think, engenders a greater sense of. Uh, trust or loyalty or otherwise you know when someone's not doing great or there's things that are going on that you can go and the other person can go there is no other reason for this person to reach out to me to see how I'm doing maybe things aren't great than them being kind enough to be thinking about you and to be saying what can I do to to help Um, and I think in the same way uh, one of the ideas in the book that I have is that for people wanting to get into a particular industry whatever it might be when people are then reaching out to people to say, please, can we have a job? Please, can we have a coffee? Please, can I get work experience? Please, can I do this? I think sometimes the easier way that I've seen it being done very well is for people to think about the recipient more than themselves and think about the things that might help the recipient that might be of value to them that then might lead to a longer term play. And that usually, in my experience, is the way to develop that longer term relationship. Let me help solve a problem for you, which in turn will hopefully demonstrate that I'm actually very good and have really good skills that might be of benefit to me and to you in the longer term. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I always think that if you can help somebody, nine times out of 10, that person, will remember that help 
and will be more inclined to help you. Um, and not because they want anything, but because they also have a memory of you being a solution provider to some degree. Um, and and go out just thinking about how I help that individual. That's probably a great way to start. But even before then, despite, as you rightly pointed out, just calling and say, checking in to see how you are, everything's okay. Because then when you do go in and say, actually, can you help move X? It doesn't feel as though you're getting in contact because you want help with X. It means that, okay, there is something that's actually come up. But sending an occasional text, WhatsApp, email, just touching base, it will probably take less than a minute. I mean, most people spend more time on social media than they do checking in on family and friends. Um, and the conversation will be a lot shorter than the time they spend on social media. So it's just about thinking about using your time uh, more productively. And just if you want to have those type of relationships, a good relationship with those individuals, just just make that effort. And can I ask on there, do you, because obviously you've got a lot of strong, well, strong and, you know, I don't, what, what I mean, the thing is sometimes I think people mistake is you don't need to be best friends with everybody in order to have yeah. good relationships with people, for them to trust you, for them to trust your personal judgment, for you to get along with people, for you to maintain them in the right way. And when I mean strong relationships, what I actually mean is, is that someone could ring or message or email you and say, Dan, I need to help with something. Can you, can you help? And it's that pull of the relationship being strong enough to go out of your way to be able to do something which may cause you hassle or may be a not a problem but means you're going to have to expend energy on doing something yeah. and the reason is you don't mind doing it because you're both invested in in the relationship between you as, as a result um do, do you have a particular system to keep those relationships strong do you have a spreadsheet? Do you have particular software? Do you have a list? Do you track stuff? Or is it sometimes as like, you know, um, how you might be like, oh, I haven't spoken to this person for a while or I haven't done this or otherwise, because you get to a certain critical mass, I guess, at some point where your brain isn't <laughs> going to be able to track everything, to remember everything and to be able to maintain everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd love to be honest and say I have a system um uh i don't i just i just genuinely i have uh, i mean from a from a personal perspective uh, family and friends I, I i make sure try and touch base with and then uh key people in my life i, I would just drop um and i did it over i think quite a bit over the certainly you know summer and towards the latter stage of this year just a, a text whatsapp saying look just touch your base see if you're okay um, and that typically leads on to a, a, a further conversation. Ah, actually, we just had a baby or I just got engaged or, or whatever it is. And it's like, and that's how you maintain it. Um, system wise, I think I'm lucky and blessed in the fact that I have a big network that I don't generally have a system. I, I, what I would do is um, I have like, if you like my sports guys that I'll, I'll connect with reasonably regularly with, I've got, uh, friends in, I guess, the, the kind of law, law part, law world, uh, I would connect with. Um, and not least because I will have read something that's changed in sports law or, or I would have read something that was changing just legislation. And I sometimes lead if I've read this, have, what are your thoughts? And then typically it's like, oh, actually it impacts this, this and this. And then you get a conversation going. 
So I think the fact that I um I take in a lot of data too helps me with those conversations. Um, the the other thing I think that helps is sometimes just being honest and saying, do you know what? I just felt a bit down and I just needed someone to talk to. Showing vulnerability isn't something you should be ashamed of either. I think if you if you have a relationship with somebody that you trust or you like you have the ear of um, or you feel you can talk openly to, don't be ashamed to pick up the phone to that individual and just say, Do you know what, I felt a bit lonely or something happened today, I needed someone to talk to. And I think we don't we just we just don't do that enough. Um, I think by doing that too, you strengthen a lot of those relationships. It's an interesting counterintuitive point, showing vulnerability and weakness or, you know, human frailty um, in the right context substantively builds relationships rather than yeah. weakens um, by way of sort of communication than the right way, which I, yeah, I, I completely agree with. Um, two more questions for you, pal, um, before I let you actually yeah. go back yeah. <laughs> It's fine. It's all good. It's all good. Um, based on previous chats we've had and on podcasts we've done uh, recently as well, um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of books like Grit and Mindset um, that I know I've mentioned to you previously as well by ladies like Angela Duckworth and Dr. Carol Dweck. And a lot of a lot of the things that are taught there are things like perseverance and resilience and being able to dust yourself off and start again. Um, based on our conversations of where you've had setbacks and when things haven't worked out well, and also when things have worked out well as a result of, you know, having to have sort of life challenges in different ways. Um, do you feel that those obstacles that you've overcome at an earlier stage in your career, possibly more so than other people in different ways, has held you in good stead? Because you're, you're I don't want to generalise, more grounded, more having to have fronted up to those disappointments and issues that have arisen, which then, as you say, maybe gives you more, um, more ability to be able to express your vulnerability because actually you're comfortable in your vulnerability because of the stuff that's happened as a result. Does, does, does that resonate at all in terms of then how, that, how, how you are as a person as a result? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think the, the the I think there was an injury. I think I mentioned it in our in the podcast where I I torn both adductors, probably the scariest period of my life. Um, um, I was just in bits. I I, could, I literally couldn't walk. Um, and I remember I remember um, sat on the bed in hospital in London, and they just said, "Look, um, you're just never gonna throw it again." Because once this is fixed, you just can't withstand the amount of forces that your body needs to apply to throw the discus a long way. Um, and that was very early on of my career. I was moving to Loughborough in 2010 and having that done, having that massive injury. Um, again, off my first throw, so I'd done this for this international, qualified for Commonwealth Games in India and that same competition um, to both of doctors. I mean, I, I was devastated. But... Having been told what I told, what I was told, the initial disappointment disappointment was huge. But I didn't spun it. I, I spun it straight away in my head. I just said, "All right, fine." They have a medical view about what I can and can't do, which is fine, and I totally respect it. 
but equally I said I also know my body um, and the only way I'm going to be able to turn it around is by trying so just do it in stages for me it was just about first of all getting my body healthy however long it take uh, it takes and then working on kind of small wins um, and I literally just would be like okay one day I'd be able to hold a plank for 30 seconds or 20 seconds and that'd be it'd be it'd be nothing for most people but for me it was a massive accomplishment and then you continue to build and build and build um, and I and I think in industry it was it was it was the same for me when I was trying to move from investment banking to private banking it was so hard because I didn't have any experience in private banking um, I didn't have a network in private banking I didn't go to a red brick university so again I was already up against it the only thing I had was the fact that I'm a sportsman who wanted to cover um, individuals from that space um, and I, I applied to at least 10, 10 different organizations the answer was no including mine actually um, and if, in fact my organization I applied three times uh, and I was no every single time until the fourth time eventually was a yes um, but the disappointment was something it sounds weird I was used to so it didn't come as a necessarily a massive surprise if anything what it did do was reinforce me to try and find ways of improving so every time I got a no what I try and do is find out the reason why it was a no so maybe there's something was vacant in my profile that I needed to go and improve on for example um, so if it was a professional qualification or or I didn't have an experience in leadership or I didn't have an experience in specific products I don't, whatever it was um, I will try and try and fill those gaps and it'd be no dissimilar to say for example in sport where if you're trying to develop and and then you come to the end of the year and you say okay what do i need to do to run faster jump further throw further okay what are my weaknesses um and it's those vacant things you try and plug the gaps in um and for me that there were to begin in my career there were, there were a number of disappointments um and even 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 now there were, there are still disappointments on a daily basis in, in the job that I do now, but I think what you've also got to recognize, as particularly as you get older, is being comfortable, being, being unco uncomfortable, first of all, and then also that disappointments are just perfectly normal. And to some degree, I would argue that the only way to learn and develop and grow is to have disappointments. It's like going to the gym, right? If I went to the gym and I train and I didn't increase the weight or my body wasn't sore. It's very diff difficult for them, my body to grow by, by, by just biology, in order for muscles to grow, they need to tear, repair and grow. It's the same, it's the, it's the same principle in, in life and in sport and in industry. Sometimes you're going to, you, in order to grow, you're going to, you're going to hopefully do well, but you're also going to get knocked back, that knocked back you can use to learn and then improve and then grow and get stronger feels like you've been um, listening to growth mindset ideas, which I, it sounds exactly <laughs> what, you, what you, you've articulated in a much better way than I could possibly do, which is, I, I really like that. I, I really like that, meta, that muscle metaphor um, as a way, which is, which is cool. Right, last question for you. Um, not to necessarily put you on the spot, but I did 
get, try and give you a yeah. advance warning on um, on some of the questions. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's and fine. I take it from there's um, there's a book by a guy called Tim Ferriss that I, I I really enjoy listening to his podcasts. For example, a guy called Tim Ferriss. He did a brilliant interview with um, Hugh Jackman, um, uh, and um, I, I've never, I've you know, I, I've always been really impressed with Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman's work, Greater Showman, Wolverine, and others. Um, but this interview, this podcast, is like mind blowing. It's amazing. Really, really interesting. So I recommend that. Anyway, I go off on what I'm. I'm, I'm really I've read it down. <laughs> um, I'll send you. I'll try and send it to you afterwards as well, just if I remember as well. So he. Um, he asks um, uh, industry leaders um, a set of 13 questions. And one of the last questions he asks is, if you had a massive billboard where you could say anything to inspire others, what would it say? Now, I'm putting you on the spot here as well. And you don't need to necessarily give me the answer now. Um, but um, there's been lots of quite interesting um, ideas. Some have been quite selfless ideas. Some have been quite motivational ideas, um, almost like just do it or why not? Or other people have been like recommend good books, which I really enjoyed as a um, as a sort of motto. Um, is there anything that springs to mind? It can be short, it can be long as well. It doesn't necessarily. Um, I think from my experience, I would say work hard, stay patient, and persevere for it all. Love it. That'd be my three things. Which I guess in part is how you have, um, that that's the manifestation of your own set of values, which holds you in good stead. Like it may. That, it's, it's just, yeah, it's just directly from, I guess, what I've experienced. And um, yeah, I think um, it's, it's, it's been true to form for me. It's been true to form to for many many athletes, and it's been certainly true to form to a number of um, people in industry too. I, I mean, I, I speak to a couple of CEOs, and I often ask them, "How did you get to to lead a global organization?" And a lot of it is perseverance, um, a lot of it is patience, and also a lot of it is just doing the stuff that nobody else wants to do, getting their hands dirty and getting stuck in. Yeah, very cool. Mate, um, thank you for speaking to me from um, your kitchen with the better Wi-Fi. It's much appreciated. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. I'm so glad it was so much better today. <laughs> and I do promise that the next time we speak, I'll get this fixed. Every time I speak to you, <laughs> the internet always plays up. <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Build the Invisible with me, Daniel G. We hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and took away some valuable insights and lessons. If you'd like to learn more about the strategies and mindset discussed on the show, be sure to check out the book, my book, Build the Invisible, and the accompanying BTI journal, both available at www.buildtheinvisible.com. We also encourage you to leave us a review and subscribe to keep up to date on future episodes. Thanks for listening.